Nestled in the modern-day jungles of Yucatan, Mexico, there's a city, or the ruins of one, which at one point was one of the largest Maya cities and may have been one of the most diverse in the region. The city was called Chichen Itza, and it is located where five freshwater sinkholes provided a great water source for the city. And at the center of Chichen Itza stands a 99-foot-tall stepped pyramid known as the Temple of Kukulkan, or to the Spanish, El Castillo, meaning the castle. Built by the Maya civilization between the 8th and 12th century CE, this pyramid acted as a temple to the feathered serpent deity associated with the winds and rain, Kukulkan, hence the name. Now, to say the Maya constructed temples to be used as functional, meaningful structures is quite the understatement. Symbolism and meaning are incredibly prevalent, and this was no different with the Temple of Kukulkan. You see, each of the four stairways that ascends over the series of squared terraces each have approximately 91 steps. Assuming you add the temple platform at the top of the pyramid as a step, that would give you 91 times 4, then you add 1 for the platform, and you would get 365 total steps. And this matches the Maya calendar year, and most likely was related to spiritual rituals. The Temple of Kukulhan is not as tall as the Great Pyramids in Egypt. In fact, the temples of the Maya were just built for different reasons. For Egyptians, the pyramid's basic function was that of a burial tomb for their pharaohs, or important nobles and priests. For the Maya, the temples were a religious and ceremonial structure. They served as guide points and landmarks that stood out over the canopy of the jungle. And some temples were built to never even be used by humans. No, those pyramids were built solely to honor their deities. Now, we've established the value the Maya placed upon their pyramids. But what about construction? If you didn't know already, the Maya built these cities and they built these temples without two key elements, iron tools or beasts of burden. In other words, the Maya were very adept at creating massive monuments using one of the greatest physical tools we have, our hands. When we discussed Bloom's taxonomy and the cognitive domain in the last episode, we spoke about the steps needed to get students through a lesson, a course, or an assessment. That is, we spoke about using the knowledge aspect of learning or the cognitive domain to do so. And as promised from last episode, we're going to review the other two domains, the effective and the psychomotor. The cognitive domain is the knowledge domain, the effective domain is the social or emotional learning domain, and the psychomotor domain would be the kinetic or hands-on learning domain. Another way to think of it, these domains make up the head, the heart, and the hands of learning. And no matter how you slice it, there is no way to build a well-structured pyramid without knowledge, social, or kinesthetic learning. Welcome to the Instructor's Kit Bag, a podcast for all educators based out of Army Logistics University in Fort Lee, Virginia. Here we discuss tips, strategies, ideas, history, and current trends in the educational world. Whether you are a veteran teacher or new to the profession, we welcome you to join us in our pursuit of teaching and learning. So let's begin to educate the talent of tomorrow. As most of you know, when you search Bloom's Taxonomy on the internet, a lot of times you get the older version, not the 2001 revised version, and almost all of the time you get the cognitive domain model. However, there are two other models. There's the effective and the psychomotor domains. So let's break down the effective domain first. The effective domain incorporates the effective objectives you want to accomplish in the classroom. Notice I'm saying effective and not effective. Doing some quick internet searching on the word affection, it derives from the old French affection, excuse my pitiful French, which meant an emotion of the mind and passion. And that's what we as educators want to tap into. Now, having taught adults, teenagers, and preteens, I have found that there are some differences in connecting what you're teaching to their passions. But one thing always holds true. They all want value. How many of us have dealt with a student? What do I need to know this? Will I use this in real life? As if learning isn't a part of real life. And if you've answered this with because we have to, that's no different than saying because I said so. 
If you do this, I hate to break it to you, but you may be missing the boat entirely. The effective domain will help get you, as the instructor, back on board and help you get value added to lessons and courses, thus filling the student with unbridled joy. Or not. We'll have to see. So remember Dr. David Crathwall, Dr. Bloom's colleague who helped set up the original taxonomic structure of the cognitive domain, the one who also helped revise Bloom's taxonomy in 2001? Well, he is considered the primary author of creating the effective domain back in 1964. The effective domain, much like the cognitive domain, is set up in tiers, ranging from simple at the bottom to more complex at the top, like a pyramid rising to the sky. It also uses the verb system in order to help organize and plan your course in a logical and tiered manner. Unlike the cognitive domain, which has six levels, the effective domain has five. Now, on the bottom, or the foundation, is where we will start. Receiving, effective level one, or A1. This is passively understanding and acknowledging the existence of ideas, concepts, or resources by being aware, recognizing, and identifying their existence. Example verbs may include choose, ask, listen for, or accept. This level is really used for helping students see another perspective that they may not have seen before, or introducing them to other people's experiences or perspectives. Responding, effective level two, or A2. This is actively participating in understanding and acknowledging the existence of ideas, concepts, or resources by being aware, recognizing, and identifying their existence by responding to them. Example verbs may include select, compare, perform, assist, and question. This level is used to respond to the new or added perspectives through the student's own perspectives and experiences. Valuing. Effective level three or A3. Actively examining and supporting values placed on ideas, concepts, or resources. Example verbs may include debate, support, research, justify. This level places emphasis on the values and beliefs a student holds and has the student examine their value and support their preferences. Organization, effective level four or A4. To relate and place priority upon values and bring them into a consistent internal structure. Example verbs may include theorize, examine, formulate, integrate, clarify. This level will help students organize better their thoughts and priorities into a more structured fashion to help focus their attention on the task and goal at hand. Characterization, effective level five or A5. To act concordantly to the values within the internal foundation of the student. Example verbs may include revise, resist, manage, resolve, judge. This is the most complex level as this is the student's highest level of realization of internalized values. Now, I do want to clear up a couple things with this. A lot of this either sounds like it only applies to certain subjects, applies to everything within a subject, or is relatable only on internalized levels. And the answers to that are no, yes, and sometimes. The effective domain works with any subject if you have clear, definitive goals in this area. If you want to use collaboration or cooperation skills within group work, the effective domain applies. If you want students working on assignments where they need to take intellectual risks, either by positing new ideas or supporting other ideas, the effective domain applies. Conversely, there are some lessons where it applies to all of the activities. In fact, the effective domain is either complementing the cognitive or psychomotor domains or is a byproduct of them. So remember, use the effective domain if you want a stronger connection between the material and the student. For example, when teaching eighth grade civics economics honors classes, I needed something to differentiate their learning and get them to care more about the importance of what they're learning. Surprisingly, government and civics can be a little dry if you didn't already know that. So instead of going through the prescribed activities set forth by myself previously and other educators, I turned to the effective domain. And their project? Well, first they had to learn basic public speaking. Then they had to form groups to debate preset topics that I chose. 
And by the end of the year, they had to debate another group in class in front of school administrators, lawyers, and other professionals from the community. And although their grades were roughly the same as other years based on the content of what they had to know, their attitudes and interests were far greater than the previous classes. And this was all thanks to the effective domain. And now we've arrived at our final domain of learning, the psychomotor domain. Our kinesthetic or hands-on learning domain doesn't have six levels like the cognitive domain, but it does have five levels like the effective domain had. The psychomotor form of learning really lends itself to athletics, machine learning, art, computer sciences, and vehicle operation. However, it can be easily applied to any subject where organization, creation, and performance of any measure take place. So, as you may have guessed, we will start from the bottom of the psychomotor pyramid and work our way to the top, or rather start with our simpler levels and make our way to the more complex ones. And as there are various psychomotor models to use, we are going to discuss Dr. Simon Atkinson's 2012 model, which is derived from Dr. Ravindra Dave's 1970 model. Imitate, psychomotor level one or P1. The ability to copy or replicate the actions of others following observations. Example verbs may include identify, repeat, match, or copy. This level will work well for getting the basic understanding of procedures, processes, or models based on a correct version of the activity. Manipulate, psychomotor level two or P2. The ability to repeat or reproduce actions to prescribe standards from memory or instructions. Example verbs may include execute, manipulate, prepare, enact, or undertake. This level could be attained by developing a term paper, fixing a piece of equipment, or conducting science lab exercises. Perfect. Psychomotor level three or P3. The ability to perform actions with expertise and without interventions and the ability to demonstrate and explain actions to others. Example verbs may include calibrate, write, demonstrate, document, or show. Good activities for this level would include multimedia presentations, demonstrating how tools or equipment work, organizing methods or products into a computer system, or producing instructions in the arts or athletics. Articulate. Psychomotor level four or P4. The ability to adapt existing psychomotor skills in a non-standard way in different contexts using alternative tools and instruments to satisfy needs. Example verbs may include combine, adapt, construct, modify, or evaluate. Good lessons for this level could be combining different art styles or literary genres, using the education in one computer software and using it to apply it to another computer software, or comparing and contrasting different uses of tools on various equipment. Embody, psychomotor level five or P5. The ability to perform actions in an automatic, intuitive, or unconscious way appropriate to the context. Example verbs may include improvise, design, invent, project manage, repurpose. Using geographic information systems for mapping, recording any artistic demonstration and publishing, using primary sources to build new theories, or creating modifying tools for different uses would all be good for this level. So now we have reviewed the three domains of learning the cognitive, the affective, and the psychomotor, or as some call them, the head, the heart, and the hands. And we can place these tools into our metaphorical kit bag. Just remember, while they seem to be set in stone, these domains are flexible enough that we can manipulate them to do our bidding in the classroom. Sounds a little evil when I put it like that, right? And while we have reviewed these domains within the structure of Bloom's, Crathwall's, and Atkinson's taxonomy, the next question is a very famous one. Now what? And that's a great question. In the next episode, we will discuss the various methods and uses in taking what we know about the three domains and how we can best serve our students and ourselves in curriculum design and lesson preparation. But before we go, I wanted to revisit the Temple of Kukulkan in the Maya city of Chichen Itza. There is no doubt that the building of the pyramid required all three domains of learning at the highest levels. 
and the amount of detail and meaning that went into the building of the Temple of Kukulkan was staggering. A case in point. Remember that the deity, Kukulkan, was a feathered serpent. Well, along the northern balustrade, the siding of the staircase, are some sculptures of a plumed serpent, its head flush with the ground at the base. Around the autumn and spring equinoxes, the sun hits this section of the pyramid at just the right angle that it creates a series of triangular shadows. And these shadows along the staircase create an illusion of a serpent crawling down the pyramid, essentially giving that serpent head sculpture a body. I assume this addition set forth a major amount of pride and connection between the person and Kukulkan, the deity. And that value and connection is the effective domain, the heart of the three domains of learning. So thanks again for listening to the Instructor's Kit Bag Podcast, a podcast for all instructors and educators based out of Army Logistics University. We hope this was informative and hopefully a little bit entertaining. Remember, in our next episode, we are going to dive into various methods and using our three taxonomies inside the classroom and what that looks like. So until then, keep educating and never stop learning.